Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. This episode, as all episodes, is brought to you by your friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash alley for American meat delivered. That's goodranchers.com slash alley. All right, guys, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with our friend Jonathan Isaac. He is a player for the Orlando Magic. This is the second time we're having him on. Today, we are talking about his new book, Why I Stand. It is doing so well. There's a reason for that. He has an incredible story, an incredible testimony. If you heard him on the first time on Relatable last year, you've heard a little bit about how he came to Christ, but this book details that a lot further, and we are talking about that some today. I know you're going to walk away from this conversation feeling so encouraged and uplifted and just touched by his vulnerability, his willingness to share his struggles, and also his insistence upon pointing to the power and the faithfulness of God. And um, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to you hearing from him again I will pat Relatable on the back just a little bit because I I believe we were the first show to talk to him last year when he was taking a stand against the vaccine mandates. And of course, we also talked about the stand that he took um, in 2020 when he decided not to kneel in honor of the Black Lives Matter organization on the sideline of his NBA game. So just as a refresher, that's who Jonathan Isaac is. That is why we talked to him last year. And that is um, part of why we are talking to him today. What was he thinking as he was taking those stands that he knew would be controversial? So as I said, this is going to be awesome. If you're not familiar with him, you're going to love him. So without further ado, here is our friend Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us in person. This is the second time that mm-hmm. you're on the show. And this time we are talking about the book that you told me about yes. the first time you were on the show. So tell us a little bit more about the book now that it's published and out there. What is it about? Why did you write it? Well, first off, thank you so much for having me, Ali. This is a pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the book Why I Stand, it's, it's doing fantastic. It so is. it became a national bestseller, I think this week, earlier number this week. Number one in basketball biographies yes. on Amazon. Number 20, as of right now, in Christian books and Bibles. Number 23 in politics and government. Number nine on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. That's all a really big deal. I mean, there's a lot of competition in those categories. Yes. And we, we were even higher earlier in the week. So we got to yeah. like... One in Christian books, one in politics, That's one in basketball awesome. biographies, and I think like up to Praise 15 God. on Amazon altogether. So yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just been great like hearing people talk about how well they're enjoying the book and, and how it's encouraging them and empowering them and all those different things. It's like, it's so surreal for me. But um, the book is, is so much more than just about me standing in the bubble or me refusing a vaccine. It really is a story of my journey, yeah. how the heck I got there in the first place, the people that have been along the journey with me, how I was able to develop 
courage and belief through a through a relationship with Christ that has helped me to battle anxiety, fear, insecurity. And I really think it is a roadmap for people today to stand up for what they believe in and to see that the reason I said that Jesus Christ was the answer for the world is because he's been that answer for me. And so that's why yeah. the book is here. Yeah. I don't want to rehash everything that we talked about in the first interview. Right. People can go back and listen to that. But I do want to back up a, a little bit for those who don't know your story. Tell us how you came to Christ. Were you raised in a Christian home? Have you always been a Christian? What did that look like for you? So I I was raised in a Christian home and we were in church. It felt like every single day. Um, My parents split up when I was about 10 years old and I moved from Bronx, New York, which Mm -hmm. is obviously predominantly black community to Naples, Florida, which is Mm -hmm. predominantly white. Yeah. And I really, really struggled as a kid. And Mm -hmm. so trying to fit in, trying to get people to like me, um, I became really self-conscious and, you know, developed a level of anxiety. Um, I picked up a nickname Ethiopia early on in me, you know, being in Naples, Florida. And it it just sucked. It was hard for me to make friends. And so I developed that insecurity and and fear about getting people to like me. Was it mostly the racial component that made you stand out? Was it because you were from the Bronx and that's just like a totally different culture and place? What was it that made you feel excluded or what was the reason why? I I think it was it was it was all of it. So it was definitely just a cultural change of like, okay, yeah. I, I need to make the first step in trying to get these people to like me. And, and then there obviously was the, the the racial undertone of being called Ethiopia that kind of yeah. kept moving me you know, to the side mm. um, and then just, just failing at it. So there's a, there's a story earlier in the book where I'm so used to horse playing because I come from the Bronx. That's what we do. That's yeah. how you make friends. You horse play and then you guys are buddies. Yeah. But when I did it in Naples, Florida, I got in trouble. And so I'm in the wow. principal's office. My mom gets called and the principal is actually like, scared for the kids well-being and that's when I was like oh man I'm not I'm not what I thought I was you know and it, and it just didn't work out and so that's hard that's yeah. hard for like your self-perception too exactly. you go from like roughhousing because that's a normal thing that you do to basically being cast as a bad kid or a danger to the community that's got to be really hard for a kid and understanding who they are and how they fit in exactly <laughs> As- yeah. absolutely and so uh so then I find basketball yeah. So I, I find basketball and I start to fall in love with basketball. But at the same time, I'm falling in love with everything that basketball is getting me. So mm. the friends that now want to be around me because I've become a you know a talented basketball player, the girls are starting to talk to me and like me because of the game. And so I started to shape my identity around basketball. That that is the that's the best thing about me. It's the only thing that that about me that there's value in. And so. I pushed for it 100% and I became the number one player in the state of Florida, but still dealing with those same anxieties and fears behind the scenes Mm. to where I would play well and I'm on top of the world. Everybody loves me. And then I would be so nervous about playing well again because I didn't want to lose that love that I had Mm -hmm. gained. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so it was just, it was just a struggle all through middle school, all through high school. I make it to Florida state, um, you know, as the, you know, most highly touted recruit in some 40 years. Mm. And, uh, uh, yeah, I get there and it's the same it's the same struggle, but now it's like on a bigger stage and now I have these big anxiety episodes to where like I pass out in class, I pass out during breakfast, like something wow. like that. Because you were so you were kind of in this very precarious position that you felt like if you made the wrong move or you did something wrong, not only would you fail professionally, athletically, but you felt like your whole identity and purpose would crumble. That's a huge burden to carry. Yes, absolutely. And it was it was interesting because it was all like undercurrent. 
to where on the on the surface I'm I'm Jonathan Isaac. I'm I'm this great basketball player and everybody loves me for that. But underneath these like, these things are like kind of trembling, yeah. you know, underneath the surface. And then I had those big moments where it kind of just exploded. And all of that is detailed in the book as well. And then I get to I leave Florida State and then I make it to the NBA. I'm the sixth pick in the NBA draft. And now it's even, it's like you're going from stage to stage. Now it's even, it's an even yeah. bigger stage. And uh, I get injured early on. So that, that sucks. I'm, I'm going through these things behind the scenes. And then the book takes you through the story of ultimately me really coming to Christ because growing up in church, it was just a, it was just tradition. It wasn't something that was tangible. I didn't know that a relationship with Jesus could be something that was tangible. Um, and then uh, I meet a gentleman on the elevator who says, I can tell you how to be great. And there's a lot of backstory to this, but if I take you through the whole thing, it's going to take up the whole podcast. Yeah. But um. And it was just it was just kind of like a random person yes. who shared the gospel with you. Yes. He said, "I can tell you how to be great," and I said, "How?" He said, "You have to know Jesus." And I'm like, "Man, I know Jesus, whatever." Yeah. Um. And then the story just goes on this whirlwind of like God pretty much orchestrating our steps and me meeting Him over and over again, and just the crazy coincidences to where I'm like, you know what? God is real. And the biggest thing that caught my eye was that just not just not that God was real. It was that he loved me Mm. because in order for him to come after me, I wasn't checking for him. I was doing my own thing. But in order for him to to want to orchestrate my footsteps, he had to care. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I could breathe because I was so used to being high, strong and anxious about getting people to like me. But he was this God that loved me for me. And Mm. I didn't have to perform for it. I didn't have to work for it. And that was the start of me getting to where I am today. Yeah. Tell us how that has changed your your career and because you're still successful but would you say that that anxiety to keep up a certain level of success in order to please other people and be accepted and approved of by other people how has how has that feeling and that anxiety changed since you've had this realization that God loves you for you. Yeah, and I, w- I would also say that it's a process. Yeah, so of course. So c- com- coming to that understanding yeah. is like, oh yeah, God loves me for me, but then what happens then when you, you when you fail again? Yeah. Right? And you're like, mm-hmm. does God love me for me? Yeah. Um, but the, a huge part of it was the people that were in my life. So all detailed through the book, you have my wife, Takeda, um, you have Dr. Hepburn, which becomes, you know, Bishop Dr. Hepburn, my pastor, the same guy that met me in the elevator and told me that mm. Jesus was gonna help me be great. Um, that I had to know Jesus in order to be great. Those people were the ones that were able to walk me through the process of being loved unconditionally and not for what you could do, not for what you could give them, but just for who you were. Um, And helping you get to, you know, grow into the person that God created you to be. And so I had, I, I had people to walk me through it. And then, you know, being able to not rely on the thoughts of others and, and, and the feelings of others, but almost, you know, just focusing on that audience of one of being Christ and wanting to please him has ultimately led me to being willing to stand alone in a moment where I had a lot riding against me. Yeah. And, you know, that is the thing that is different. That's what sets Christianity apart is that there are many religions that can tell you how to get to God, how to mm-hmm. climb up the mountain. But Christianity stands apart in that it tells us that we are actually unable to get up the right, mountain. We're right. actually unable to make our way to God or to perform a certain way so that God will accept us. But God came down the mountain. He did something for us because we were unable to make ourselves acceptable in and of ourselves. And that really is so liberating mm-hmm. and so different um, than the other religions of performance out there. And that really is the crux of the book. And so when people are reading my story and they're reading about why did this guy stand in the bubble and why is his message about the love of Jesus Christ is really going to be the thing that changes the world. It's because I've experienced that love that you're talking about, that God came down to us and met us where we were at and ultimately helped us work to where we are today. And so 
that's that's what I want people to walk away from the book, that if we could choose to love people the way that God loves us, which is in spite of our sin, in spite of our uh, failures and shortcomings and meets us where we're at and loves us through it, then we can really see change in the world. It's not going to be a movement. It's not going to be an organization because the, the things that we're dealing with are heart issues. And, you know, even standing in the bubble, I couldn't think of a greater message to change the hearts of men other than the gospel for that time. And that's mm-hmm. why I decided to to stand. Mm-hmm. And really how people first heard about you and heard you share the gospel was because you did stand mm-hmm. instead of kneeling um, a couple of years ago when people were protesting in the name of Black Lives Matter. Um, can you tell us how the gospel that you just described influences how you view Black Lives Matter and why you chose in that instance not to kneel? You did explain right. how you experienced racial prejudice growing up, so it's not like you don't believe that that's something right. that exists. So why did you why did you decide to um, take a stand in that moment. That's a great question. And, and even to your point about the undertones of being able, be, having experienced that in the mm-hmm. past. And so it's like, you know, why is this black guy standing up and not kneeling with everybody else that's kneeling? And, and he's black, obviously, um, and has experienced some of those things in the past. But um, back to what I was saying about them being heart issues. When you take racism, when you take all the different things that plague the hearts of men, they're heart issues and they're spiritual issues. And our world in times of tragedy like George Floyd needs healing. Mm-hmm. And when you think about healing, healing is not, for, for me, understanding that healing is not going to come through a movement unless the, the movement is centered around Christ. Because again, those are heart issues that only the gospel can heal. And so um, when our world needs healing, it's like I'm thinking about love. Love is the thing that heals. And there's no greater love than the love of God. Because the world loves you until you make a mistake, until you do something wrong. But we were talking about that God mm-hmm. unconditional love that meets you where you're at, that loves first um, and loves in spite of. To me, if we were able to to you know, internalize that love and show it in a moment like George Floyd's tragedy, then both sides could come together and there could be real reconciliation and change. And even thinking about the... The verse, Second Chronicles 7 and 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, seek my face, pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will come forgive their sins and heal their land. And mm-hmm. so seeing that, wow, in times like this, in times like today, looking out, America needs healing. And if we could humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways and point people to Christ um, in these moments of tragedy, then we could have real change. Mm-hmm. And another moment for you where you took an unpopular stand that got you some blowback was about the vaccine. And we talked about that in our first interview, but some people might not even know that that was a stand that you took. Tell us, since we talked, I think it was maybe in October, how it has been um, in the NBA since you are someone who didn't take the vaccine. It's It was a whirlwind. Like, as everyone, you know, the world just kind of stopped. It, it paused and... Everyone was there was so much fear that was being pushed and spewed to all areas. So, you know, the NBA shuts everything down and they're, you know, we're running around like chickens with our head cuts off. Like, what's the right thing to do? What's the right protocol to put in place? What's the right thing to mitigate what's going on? Um, 
and and it just it, it felt it felt forced you know especially coming you know not not necessarily at that time but as we learned more about covid and got into the vaccine conversation it everything felt so forced everything felt so pushed mm-hmm. upon and you couldn't even ask questions and so I, as i was on social media and twitter and watching people ask about natural immunity and be taken off or something like that yeah. i'm like what is going on yeah and so that's when i decided you know what i'm just going to take a step back i'm going to watch and see what happens um and then that you know the, we talked about the rolling stone article the first time we spoke and that was the kind of thing that set me back almost like wow this obviously is more than about a vaccine this is political this is you know about an agenda and a side and i was like you know what you know i'm, I'm going to choose to side with the people who are having their religious and medical exemptions denied and people who are losing their jobs and to stand up and be a voice for them you know it's, it's not saying that the vaccine is terrible and it's awful and it doesn't have some you know it, it can work or benefit but um on principle i i didn't i didn't enjoy the way that it was being pushed and again for myself i'm young i'm healthy i already had covid in the past i had already spoken to several doctors about it and i was like you know i, I don't see the wisdom in putting this into my body um and risking having some type of possible you know adverse reaction and still being possible to get the the the, the virus and transmit it anyway but you were discriminated against in some ways because of that choice, right? For sure, there, there was definitely blowback, and the same thing with the with standing in the bubble. I, mm. and, and and I knew it going into it, and so in the book, I'm I'm on the phone with my pastor the night before standing, and I'm like, "Yo, this thing is gonna be crazy. I don't think you understand. Like, yeah. I hadn't signed my contract yet. There were so many things that were up in mm. the air that was like, I know the backlash. I know I'm gonna be a coon. I know I'm gonna be Uncle Tom. It's gonna happen. And then getting did you get to, called those names? Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. But getting to and then getting to the vaccine. It's like the same thing. You're you're an evil person, even if you have any hesitation, you know, or questions about taking this vaccine. And so, yeah. Yeah. So but for like the NBA, you were kind of you were treated differently. Right. They they had different, um, you know, rules rules. and regulations for people that were unvaccinated. You had to test every day. And so I had to get to the gym, wait in my car. Um, until my test came back negative and then I could enter the building. Um, they had they had put out like this, this I guess, chart of saying if you're unvaccinated, you couldn't eat with your teammates, be in the locker room. But, you know, those those they weren't necessarily upheld during the season. Scott was still able to. But they def- I definitely felt the pressure of them trying to say, look, if you don't do this um, or we're, we're going to put all these rules in place to encourage you to just get vaccinated. And I think there were several guys who maybe had not wanted to get vaccinated, but was just like, you know what? I don't want to go through it. all this. Yeah. And do you, do they still have those rules now? No, no. So they they, they stopped the mask mandate like on the bench or something like that. So players had to come out of the game, you know, was on the bench with the mask on, yeah. take the mask off, go into the game, get out of the game, put the mask back on to sit on the bench. And so there were, there was stuff like that where I could understand the the craziness of the moment and them just trying to figure out what we need to do to help yeah. this be better. But at the same time, on the other side, just the illogical, um, you know, measures that, you know, not only them, but just, you know, people all over the country were taking. Okay, my one and only sponsor for this episode, and that is Hunter Douglas. I absolutely love this sponsor. They make a great product for your home. My parents have been using Hunter Douglas for a very long time. They've got innovative window shade designs with beautiful fabrics. They've got really advanced control systems. So you can schedule your shades to automatically adjust their optimal position throughout the day. They also offer great insulation, which can lower your utility bills. That really matters, especially right now, especially in the summer. So you can stay cooler in the summer. You can stay warmer in the winter without cranking your heat up or cranking your AC up. 
up. My parents have been using Hunter Douglas for a really long time. They swear by their shades. They absolutely love them, and they look so good in their home. So check them out. They've got power view technology, so your shades can be automatically set to reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, new, and night. You can also get a free design guide. You can see what they have to offer and what would work best for you in your home by going to hunterdouglas.com slash Allie. You can check out the details there. That's hunterdouglas.com slash Allie, hunterdouglas.com slash Allie. You mentioned um, your wife and how she has been instrumental in your faith and she's here. And I love that we were just talking before the camera started rolling. What a difference it makes to have your person with you and really support you. You're a newlywed. Y'all have been married just for a few months. Um, Tell us what that has been like, her being kind of by your side, not just in your faith journey, Mm -hmm. but also in the explosion of this book, all of the things that you've experienced over the past couple of years. Um, What's that been like? What has it meant to you to have her with you? Well, seven months, and seven she, months. she's here right now, yeah. um, along with Doc. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just been it's just been great. You know, she's just been a, an, a, an amazing support system and encouragement. And through the book, I detail how we how we got into a relationship in the first place, and how she was integral in me becoming who I am today, and and speaking that life and encouragement, and mm-hmm. loving me where I was at, and helping yeah. me to be, you know to become or to see myself the way that they see me, or the way that God sees me. And so she's just been she's just been great. She's been answering emails and setting up appointments and just making sure that everything goes smoothly. So I, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without her. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Right. What do you hope that people get out of the book? If there's one thing that you want someone to walk away with, what do you hope that is? I would say that um, as the world gets darker, mm-hmm. um, the necessity for to be able to stand up for what you believe in, to stand on the word of God is only gonna become more necessary, but also at the same time, it's only gonna become harder. And we're going to have to be empowered and courageous enough to do it. And I'm hoping that my story gives people that encouragement in order to do so, to see that I wasn't some hot shot that had courage all day long and was able to just stand up and uh, I'm not going to kneel for this because I'm because I believe in God so heavily. I'm a kid who has grown into a man through a relationship with Christ and the people who have helped me to get here um, and found the courage in the moment to do so. And so that I'd say that's the biggest thing that I would I would want people to just get the journey, get the story, um, and that what God has done for me, God absolutely wants to do through you. And you know the 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 harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And if we're willing to stand up, we can you know take back you know a lot of the things that the enemy is running rampant, uh, allowing to happen. And we can be we can be vigilant about yeah. about fighting it and combating it. And that comes with risk. There's not a guarantee that you won't be canceled, that you won't be persecuted, that people won't call you names. Thankfully, you have had so much success come from it and so much, I'm sure, support and encouragement Mm -hmm. from people who are kind of, um, who share your faith and share your stances on these things. But I think people have to also recognize that just because God is on your side and taking a stand does not mean there won't be loss, does not mean there won't be sacrifice, right? And that takes a whole other level of courage. Yeah, but to, to your point, what I'll say is that it, the story about me, you know, having the success is, is, is great too. But one of the things that my pastor said to me the night before I stood was, you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. So you may have you may you may have monetary loss because you get canceled. You may have mm-hmm. loss in some other area, but you'll you'll gain in eternity, right? Like you'll you'll gain in other ways because God is going to fight for you because you're standing for him. So take take Daniel, take, you know, Meshach, Shadrach, and it be like you cannot stand for God and God is not gonna be there to stand for you in whatever area he chooses to do so, but it will be great. 
Yep. Yep, absolutely. And my researcher said, I don't really know what this means. Maybe you can interpret this for me. She said you're doing well on like on fantasy teams. What is that? What is fantasy basketball? Uh, People. uh, So I guess just uh, like 2K uh, fantasy leagues and stuff like that. You can. In the fantasy player. draft. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, unfortunately, I'm kind of unfamiliar. So maybe I'm, you I'm can actually break pretty that. unfamiliar you with are? that. Okay. But I get tweets all the time of people saying, like, I guess my card on 2K is, is really good. Okay. And so they, they pick me to be on their 2K teams and fantasy leagues, and, and I do well for them. Okay, well, so that's it's a, it's exciting. I, I'm, you know, I don't really know what that means. I'm sure that the people out there who know about the fantasy draft and basketball could probably, they, they probably understand that. So, yeah, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I think it's even more exciting, though, the success of your book and how many people are buying it, how many people are hearing your story. We like to say that courage begets courage. Absolutely. When you see someone standing up and um, willing to take a risk and willing to share the arrows that inevitably are right. going to come when you take a controversial stand or what the world sees as controversial, um, that kind of, it, it stirs in them the ability and the bravery to say, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it too. Courage really can be contagious. And that's what I really hope that people get from you and your story and your book as well. Yeah, likewise. And one of the things that I love to say about courage is that courage is not the absence of fear and Mm. so through all of that I was terrified like I didn't sleep the night before standing I I knew what was going to come about the vaccine and the Rolling Stone article all that stuff but I chose to do it because I knew that God was with me and because I knew that the people who were with me had me at the end of the day and so courage is not the essence of fear courage is being afraid and choosing to do it anyway yes and so, yeah. yes there was this quote by c.s lewis that i recently read and i think i'd read it before but um it just resonated especially with everything that's going on it seems like there's such a lack of courage today and he said that courage is not a virtue in itself it is it is the testing point mm-hmm. of each virtue. So it is when you get to the point of your integrity being tested, your honor being tested, your honesty being tested, um, whatever it is, if you are willing to uphold that virtue, love, joy, whatever it is, at the point when it's most difficult, at Mm -hmm. the point when there is the most risk involved, that is what courage looks like. It is every virtue at its testing point. And I think that you've represented that well, obviously, with the power of Christ working in you and to the glory of God, you have emulated what it looks like to take a virtue to its testing point. Um, And so I'm thankful for that. And I am hopeful and optimistic that other people are going to borrow the courage that you've shown us. The the one thing that I'll add to that is yeah. that there there are moments in the book when I don't, and so what I what I love about the story is that it's not just one story of, of again like it just being at the top and Jonathan is the most virtuous and courageous guy in the world. There's yeah. moments that you see you know me fail. There's moments that you see me not believe God at His word and 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 go the other way. And so it's it's human. It's it's I think the book is so real in that um you know any person you know any sphere of life can identify with the struggles that I've had. Um, the ups that I've had and the downs that I've had and to yeah. see that God was there throughout the entire process. So even when you don't in the moment have the courage to stand up or or, ha- or enact that virtue um, as you should, there's grace and there's mercy and yeah. that God will see you through it. And he's absolutely done that for me. 
Yeah, I think this is a book for anyone, but I'm thinking about a lot of moms who have teenage sons. And it's hard to navigate the world right now, I think, as a Christian trying to raise courageous and honorable sons who have integrity and do the right thing and run into good fights um, for the glory of God. And so I think that your story with all of its ups and downs and winding turns and the grace and the mercy that covers it, I think that can be especially encouraging for moms who are trying to raise boys into godly men right now. So thank you so much for writing it. Um, they can get it wherever they buy their books, right? You, could, I would say the best place to get it is on Amazon, but you can yeah. absolutely run into your Barnes and Nobles if they have some uh, yeah. books a million. But I would say go on, go on Amazon. Is there an audio book? Yes, there is. That Did is you narrated by me. Oh, great! Yes, okay, good. So we've we've actually had like really great responses from the audio book. Like people are saying they love it. You have it. a very good voice. Yeah, but you know, like me, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's, yeah. it's it, it. It was actually really, really tough to get it done. I know. But I'm I've done glad. it. I've done it. It's oh, hard. Yeah. It's a lot of talking. Yes, it's a lot of talking. My mind was like, oh, my mind like get like brain freeze and trying to yeah. read all the lines and all that stuff. But I know. I'm glad that we were able to do it and get it done. Yeah, people love audiobooks. So check that out. Amazon, Audible. I'm sure it's on christianbooks.com. Some people who don't like to purchase from Amazon, they can go to christianbooks.com. I'm sure um, that it's available there. So thank you so much for coming in, for taking the time to talk to me. I know people are going to love this conversation and love your book as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ellie. Thank you. 